okay, in an attempt to try to justify what's about to come out of my mouth, like, I just want to say that history was always during sixth period in high school, and I had it spring quarter, and I always had to leave to go to track practice or to my track matches. So, look, I know I don't know history, and I know it's bad, and I know that Mr. Wood was probably justified giving us his sassy little look with his arms crossed, with his sweater and his elbow pads, as he lectured us about why we shouldn't be leaving to go to sports, even though he coached the tennis team. And I know that we would all leave and we'd be like, Mr. Wood is so lame. He like has no idea what he's talking about. But then, I mean, I guess at the same time, I'm now a grown woman who has to learn the American Revolution. So you win, Mr. Wood. Karma came back around. Are you happy now? You don't know that? Welcome to episode 5 of You Don't Know That, the podcast. If this is your first episode for some reason, maybe don't start here because I'm going to sound especially dumb this episode. But if you are sticking around, just as a recap, my name is Ashley and I really don't know a lot of things that I should, but I'm trying to fix it. And while most of those things are actually fun to research, especially movies, some of them are real-life adult things that I should probably know, like how to buy a house, and some is just the history of where I live. And today is a history episode, and I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I'm not that excited. History has never been my strong suit. To be fair, math and science was my strong suit, and even now that I'm doing this podcast, I've definitely put this one off for far too long. I mean, I researched how to buy a house before I researched the American Revolution, so (laughs) that should tell you how I feel about history. But at the same time, especially right now in 2020, I just feel like it's important to know like where we as a nation came from. And I know that most people probably already know this, and I know that people that immigrate here and have to become citizens know our history way better than we do, so I figured the least I can do is educate myself. But in true style of the podcast, I'm going to talk about what I know as of right now before I research it, and this is going to be fucking painful. Okay, so I know the old rhyme that like, Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492 and that he was a Spaniard and, to be honest, kind of a shithead and that he quote unquote discovered America, even though very obviously people already fucking lived here. So sometime after 1492 and before 1776, people from England came here, right? And then they made their like colonies of which there were eventually 13 and I think all 13 existed at the time of the American Revolution I think anyway there were colonies and they were part of England and they were chilling and you know they were puritan I think right because that's like what led to the whole like Salem witch trial era which I think was before the American Revolution maybe not it's not relevant moving on So they're like living their colony life and there's a king 
who I'm not going to lie, I'm pretty sure I got from Hamilton, was named King George III? So Jonathan Groff is like taxing America and America was like, no, 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 no. And then like threw some tea in the harbor and then England was like, whoa, that's like gold to us. No, 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 no. And then we were like, hey, England, we don't actually um, want to be a part of you anymore. Like, if that's cool, we'd like to do like a mutual separation type thing. We're like going to be on our own now. And then England was like, nah, we'll fight you for it. And they came in red coats. And that one guy like rode on a horse being like, the British are coming. Like when they were on their way, right? And then we fought them. And we won. And then July 4th, 1776, Declaration of Independence. Then Constitution. Then they were like, ooh, we left a lot out of the Constitution. Ooh, Bill of Rights. And then America. Ta-da! Oh, no. I genuinely think that's all I have. But let me keep thinking here for a second out loud. Bear with me. I know there were, like, some Federalist papers at some point. I don't know if that had to do with the Declaration of Independence, but I think it factored in. And I know we used, like, a Magna Carta at some point, because I definitely saw one when I took a trip to D.C. when I was in eighth grade. So I don't know if we, like, borrowed the Magna Carta or what. Oh, I do know that France did us a real solid and helped us out, and then we kind of fucked them over after, which sucks. I know Hamilton was there, and Washington was a general in the war, and then became a president, and they didn't have any rules for how long presidents could stay in term yet, and, mm-hmm. <sighs> fuck, I have a lot to do. Oh, God. All right. Well, I'll be right back. Ashley's out researching things, and she'll be back in one, two, three. Okay, so as a reminder, my whole goal with this podcast is to be able to talk about these things at a level at which, like, at a dinner party, I'll know what the fuck is happening. So if you're looking for some kind of podcast that's going to get into an insane amount of detail about the American Revolution, and if you think that's possible in under 30 minutes, just know that that's not going to happen, so just lower your hopes just a touch. Also, before we get started, I just want to give a quick shout out to um, the Smithsonian Crash Course on YouTube and History.org for helping me learn stuff that I should have known. I don't want to talk about it, but back when I was in high school, I am not saying how many years ago that was. I refuse. (laughs) But let's get into it. Before we actually begin, I need to rewind a little bit before the American Revolution. In 1763, there was another war called the Seven Years' War, which, by the way, means that my guess of like 1492 to 1776 for the colonies was technically right. I mean, is it a large window? Yes. Is it cheating? Not when any rules weren't set up. Just saying, when you make your own game, you get to win. But anyway, the Seven Years' War was a war between France and Britain, and that Britain won. But Britain won at an enormous cost, to be more specific, about 150 million pounds. And that's like 150 million pounds in 
old money. Like in the 1950s, going to the movies was like a nickel. So in the 1700s, 150 million pounds is like buku bucks. You know what I mean? Like so much money. And they were kind of like, well, we helped you out, colonies. So we're going to tax you to help you pay back this debt for us doing you a favor. And colonists kind of had no say in what got taxed. And that got them pissed. That brought around the phrase that once I read it, I totally remembered it from history class, but it was the no taxation without representation. And that just means they were getting taxed and they didn't have any say in the British Parliament about those taxes. Additionally, the treaty that ended the Seven Years' War limited the colonists' ability to take land away from the Native Americans, which like they really wanted to do because they sucked. But that also kind of started raising questions from the colonists of like, what gave Britain the right? You know, they didn't live there and they were preventing them from being able to expand out west. And they didn't like that, even though it was definitely at the cost of like human lives of Native Americans who were there first. But that's a topic for another time. So I guess I digress because I only have 30 minutes to get this all done. But just know that not being able to take land from Native Americans was a major contributing factor to the American Revolution on the colonists' end of things, okay? I feel like that's not talked about enough. And now, uh, back to England and their tax laws. The first act was the Sugar Act of 1764. And taxes were actually cut in half for this one, and it was on Caribbean imports. It wasn't necessarily about the money. It was more about how Britain was forcing who they could and could not import goods from in the form of making them pay more if they import from literally anybody else. But here's the deal. In order to get around these taxes, Americans actually just like smuggled a shit ton of stuff in and out of the colonies, which... I didn't know that we were so proficient at smuggling back then, but it was like kind of our jam. And also, if a smuggler got caught and they were tried in a colonial court, it was no big deal because the colonial courts also were pretty lenient because they also loved the smuggling, you know? So it was pretty chill, I guess, for lack of a better word. But with the Sugar Act of 1764, England also started to enforce anti-smuggling practices, and British courts now could try colonial smugglers in their own court instead of a colonial court, which pissed the colonists off again. And then, cut to a year after that, Britain was like, oh, you didn't like the Sugar Act? Let's try the Stamp Act of 1765. And this one, which like sucks, by the way, reading it now, I was like, what the fuck? But it's basically all printed material, like everything on paper needed to have this stamp on it and the stamp cost money. People were not a fan. So much so that the colonists decided to make a Stamp Act Congress who decided to just completely boycott British goods. Like it was on after this act got passed, man. Like people were pissed. All the colonies began gathering for this like major coordinated action. They were acting like for lack of a better term, a government of their own. They were taken to the streets, man, and it worked. Britain repealed the Stamp Act. 
But they did pass the Declaratory Act, which was kind of like, well, we still own you guys, by the way. And we can tax you if we want, but like we just like don't want to right now for no reason in particular. But like we could if we wanted to, but like we're just being cool right now and not, okay? But we still own you. And it was basically like, you know those 50-year-old dudes that have those shirts that always seem to have this like cartoon bulldog on it and it says something along the lines of, I could beat you up if I want to, just be glad I've had my coffee today or some sort of dumb, I'm very badass and if it wasn't for society, I'd punch you into the ground right now kind of shirts. The declaratory act seems to be Britain's version of that, you know? (laughs) But victory was short-lived for the colonists. And in 1767, just two years later, this guy named Charles Townsend got Parliament to pass, you want to guess? Did you guess new taxes? Because it was new taxes. And on top of that, he created a board of customs to, guess what? Clamp down more on the smuggling. Colonists basically thought he was a huge narc and it bummed him out. So more protests came after that, including the Boston Massacre, which I know I had heard that term before, but did you know that basically British soldiers literally shot five people after the colonists threw a snowball at them? Like it was a snowball and then they got murdered. Just saying. Despite this little hiccup though, The protests were largely successful, and then eventually only one tax remained, which was a tax on tea, which I was like, "Mm mm-hmm, this is starting to sound familiar. When I got to this point in the research, I was like, okay, I got this, but I didn't, but it's okay. But anyway, in 1773, the Tea Act offered a tax break coming in the form of the East India Tea Company, which was owned by Britain, I guess, and it essentially allowed the British to dump their cheap tea onto the colonies to sell them. And it actually lowered the price of tea, which by the way, I've noticed is the second time that prices were lowered because there was the Sugar Act. But I don't think it was about things getting more expensive. It was more about the principle of Britain overstepping, especially with the tea, because at the time, the people in the colonies were not Americans. They were British, and they loved tea as much as the next British person, which is such a weird concept because I drink tea now, and people always give me a weird look versus a coffee drinker, but whatever, I stand by it. But essentially, tea was everywhere, and it was kind of like this staple or like this right for everyone to drink tea, kind of. And people were just, like, not happy that Britain was taxing this kind of universal good. And in December of that same year is when the colonists dressed up as Native Americans, stuck onto a British ship, and dumped $4 million of tea into the harbor. Which, by the way, I had no idea it was, like, that much tea. I thought it was, like, two or three crepes, but $4 million worth of tea. And I don't know if that's in like today's dollars or old timey dollars again. So it was a fuck ton of tea. Understandably, the British were not pleased at losing that much tea. And they responded by like rapid fire, just popping out act after act after act that was collectively deemed as the intolerable acts later down the road. 
And it was the response to these intolerable acts that really started to kick things off. Massachusetts straight up called for colonists to do three things. One, disobey the intolerable acts. Two, stop paying taxes. And three, prepare for war. Like they were not fucking around. And in 1774, 11 of the other colonies joined Massachusetts, which if you're doing the math, yes, that's 12 out of 13. And if you're wondering which colony didn't join, I'm not going to tell you. It was Georgia. And they got together in Philly and began to plan a resistance. And this meeting became the first Continental Congress and was the first colony-wide government in, spoiler alert, what becomes future America. And still, this was not technically a call for independence yet, but they were starting to get pretty pissed. So in April of 1775, fighting began, and it was here at this point in American history where Paul Revere, that's right, I know the name now, rode through town to let people know that the British were coming, and the next morning, the first shot rang out, which is apparently called the shot heard around the world. I definitely thought that was a World War II thing, so my bad, but... um kicked off the battle at Concord and Lexington or Lexington and Concord. I've seen it written both ways. I don't know which way is right, so I'm just saying both. But anyway, it was between British soldiers and Massachusetts Minutemen, and the colonies actually lost that one. But the British lost so many troops that they had to abandon Boston. But they did eventually get New York, so I don't really know who won that one. But anyway... By January 1776, about half a year later or so, tensions were rising even more, but some folks still were not super down for independence. And it was at this point in time that a guy named Thomas Paine wrote a pamphlet called Common Sense, which essentially just explained in like pretty plain English exactly why Britain sucked. And people were like, yeah, they do suck. And six months later is July 1776, which is when the Second Continental Congress got together and signed the Declaration of Independence. So apparently I was quite out of order on my (laughs) earlier assessment because this happened before a lot of the fighting actually started, which surprised me. I don't know why, but I guess I just thought that the Declaration of Independence was like the end of the war, not kind of the middle, or kind of, in my opinion, right at the end of a good chunk of the heavy lifting of like changing colonial ideals and all the effort in rebelling against Britain and kind of unifying the colonies together. Like that seemed like it was more of the effort than all the fighting that happened after. But I'll still talk about the battles a little bit. But I am not about to name all of them. They fought. Washington crossed the Delaware on Christmas. The French bankrupted themselves helping us, which in turn led to their own revolution where we kind of didn't help them, which was fucked up. And in 1781, there was the Battle of Yorktown and the British surrendered. So it was, you know, five years of fighting that happened after the Declaration of Independence was signed. And then once the British surrendered, I was kind of like, well, what happened there? You know, was it like, ta-da, America? Like I said earlier, 
or not. Because I feel like no one ever talks about that part. And turns out it wasn't like this glamorous ending where we yelled good riddance to Britain and waved them goodbye and said that the colonial army was the greatest army that served at the behest of George Washington, you know, was undefeated. No, to be honest, by the time that the fighting ended, there were still a lot of loose ends. Throughout the war, morale from continental soldiers was actually super low. It was not, you know, ooh, rah, rah. I don't, ooh, rah, rah? You know what I mean. They had to spend miserable winters in the woods. They didn't have enough food. They felt like nobody cared. Like, it was not this glamorous war. Then there were also the colonists that fought with the British, and there was a sizable amount of them. And there were also Quakers and pacifists, who usually were one and the same, but not necessarily, who lost property when they refused to fight. And at the time, property equaled your rights. So they just took those people's rights away. And also people without property started to feel like they should have a say. And yeah, after the American Revolution, when each state kind of had their own constitution, Also, quick aside, that's right, each state had their own constitution. We're not even at the constitution yet, and I didn't even get there, and there's no way we're getting there in 30 minutes. So, I guess that's a topic for next time, because, like, when the fuck does that come in? But yeah, back to it. Post-revolution, each state had their own constitution, and, I mean, more people were voting than before, but it still wasn't everyone. And people with property weren't that thrilled that all these other people were starting to encroach on their space. And women still didn't get to vote, obviously. Slaves didn't get to vote. And their fight from freedom was far from over. I didn't know this, but actually many slaves fought for Britain because the British guaranteed freedom for any slaves who abandoned the house they were at and fought for the British instead. And it's estimated that 100,000 slaves fled to the British, but only 15,000 left the U.S. when the British did. As for those who remained, a lot were forced back into where they just escaped from after fighting for, you know, what they thought was their chance at freedom. And as we all know, the battle for their freedom and equality didn't end anytime soon after that. Also, colonists were especially heinous towards Native Americans, A, who fought for the British, and B, who were standing in their way of Western expansion. Which then led me to ask, what was actually revolutionary here? They just kind of exchanged one set of elite white guys, British ones, for another set of elite white guys, now American ones. And from my reading, many folks say that it was the idea of revolution, that line in the Declaration of Independence that says, we hold these truths to be self-evident and that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But who really got life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? To be fair, the idea does sound wonderful. The idea that birth isn't your destiny and that nobody should be denied the chance to succeed is inherently the American dream. And the idea of the American dream has spread worldwide. But at the same time, society is complex and there are so many systems and obstacles that have been put in place before, during, and after the American Revolution that are designed to hinder certain people's progress more than others. And I just guess 
I don't know. I just saw too many parallels while reading this and researching this. And maybe that's why people need to know history. But with everything going on in the world, I guess I just have to ask, if there are still people out there fighting for equal treatment, no matter what context you're thinking of right now, because there are several in modern American history that you could be thinking of right now, did the American Revolution ever really end? Or are we still in it? I don't know. I do know. This is where I think I'm going to end it. And I can't believe that I got it done in under 30 minutes. Because depending on what you want to focus on, you can talk about the American Revolution for hours. But for me, I think I was just kind of interested in what led to it and what the effects are from it. And while it certainly won't help you pass AP US history, I do hope that you learned something here today. And I think I will do more history episodes, but you can bet your ass it's going to be a big break before the next one. See you next time. If you enjoyed this episode and are looking forward to more, please consider subscribing and leaving a review. If you would like to follow us on social media for updates and photos, you can follow us at You Don't Know Pod, that's You Don't Know P O D, on Instagram and Twitter. If you have a recommendation for something for me to research for you, or a story about you not knowing something until way later in life than you should have, there's no judgment here, and you can email me at You Don't Know That, the podcast, at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.